Well, welcome to a behind-the-scenes podcast here at Red Church, and we've really we're really going behind the scenes. Currently, uh, I am sitting in the middle of what used to be our auditorium, and I'm here with Mark Sayers, who's in one room, Britt, who's in another room, Daniel, who's in another room, and I'm looking at them all through glass. How are you guys? Good. This is a very different setup to what it would have been like a year ago where <laughs> you would have had a bunch of people. Um, I have visions in my head of people sitting on couches without social distancing, uh, sharing food, chips, um, and this feels like a very new, strange and different new world that we're in. But weirdly, we're getting used to it. Yes, we are. And I think uh, the purpose kind of behind this episode is to explore the number of changes that have occurred not just within Red Church, but within the world and how we've had to adapt and change. We obviously live and breathe this, but many of you out there who join us for Sunday services, who are part of huddles and part of our community, haven't seen sort of what's been going on behind the scenes. So we want to give you a little bit of a snapshot and a look into what life has been like as a Red Church staff uh, over the last six months or so. And I guess we're really heading into a new world and we want to take the opportunity to learn from this transition, um, from the times of transition, which Mark has been speaking about um, in a number of his sermons. So, yeah, we're just taking the opportunity to have a chat about this. Um, let's, Let's go back to maybe early March and we're in a stage of pandemic prep. How would you frame that for us, Mark? What would you say? Well, I think like we started the year as so many people did. I saw this great thing on Twitter today. Someone had retweeted Boris Johnson's Twitter account and he put up a tweet. I think it was actually um, like, I'm just actually going to look at the date because I have it right here. It's a tweet from Boris Johnson on the 2nd of January, 2020. And it's at the British Prime Minister with his uh, signature, you know, messy, messy hair. He's giving not just one thumbs up, but a double thumbs up. And he's simply written, this is going to be a fantastic year for Britain. And, um, you know, we can sort of look back at that and sort of with a wry smile now. But I think it felt like that at Red. Like we were looking forward. We'd planned to kick off a whole new congregation. Mm-hmm. And um, we, that was in the works. And we did that. Um and, you know, we're very much with our heads down, thinking about what this year is going to look like with all its potentials and possibilities. I began to first see things come across my sort of, uh, you know, news feed on Twitter of mm. people sending in videos from Wuhan. At first, you're like, you're watching it, thinking, oh, you know, what's going to happen? Um, you know, I remember being in the US when the swine flu thing broke out and actually visiting a hospital and uh, <laughs> with someone and like, and thinking, oh, is this going to be the big one? And then sort of it didn't seem to take off, you know, and you're like, oh, it's another false alarm. But there seemed to be something about this this virus that, and the, you know, real sort of worry that you began to see even before it really hit, I guess, our news, uh, you know, the more traditional news sources of, of papers and, and television. Um, as things began to kick off, um, you know, I had a conversation with Daniel sort of off the record, um, just between us, I said, it's not I, off the record anymore. Not mm. off the record anymore. I just said, hey, listen, you know, I'm watching this. Um, if this does take off, you know, we need to start preparing. I went to Malaysia at the end of February for um, part of the Barna Connected Generation Southeast Asian tour. And um, originally we were going to go to a couple more countries, but that didn't happen. So I flew into Kuala Lumpur. And I remember like getting to Melbourne Airport and seeing, you know, the many, many flights that go daily from um, Melbourne to China and they were stopped at that stage. 
and it was a ghost. You know, the airport, like I felt like it wasn't affecting us here in Melbourne doing about your daily life. But then going to the airport, it's like, well, this is a ghost town. Mm. Getting on the plane, which was, you know, a lot, not as many people on it. There were people wearing masks. And then when I hit the ground in, in KL, got on the air train, um, like everyone was wearing a mask. And I could see that in Malaysia, they were taking it a lot more seriously than we were. And, and then being with a whole bunch of leaders from around Asia, hearing some of the stories and hearing stuff like churches in Mongolia, some in Singapore had already gone online. And I think for the first time, like, wow, this is for real. Um, they were doing, you know, they were having like this sort of hospital grade infrared thing coming in and cleaning um, mm. that had to stop the people who were coming directly from China. Um, and I think for me, I was like almost a little great preview for me of this is this is the future. And I think the first time I heard like, you know, churches in Mongolia and Singapore having to go into completely online, that was a completely new thought. I hadn't, mm. you know, I was more like, oh, how do we do sort of pandemic response and maybe have hand sanitization stations or something but actually i felt like in a sense i got a little bit prepared so i was a bit ahead of the curve we came back and i think it was the weekend after that we had this john, john mark come around this big combined yeah, it services huge. it was packed you know mm. we i think how many weeks had our new um so we had a, a 10 o'clock um morning service at our nunawading uh uh, uh, site, but we'd split it into 9 and 11. Yes. That's correct. 11.15. 11.15. 11.15. 11, um, and you had that first few weeks where, you know, people had distributed over two, but then, you know, after a few weeks, they'd sort of grown. You felt like you had a whole, uh, you know, couple of new congregations. And then we have this big one with John Mark Comer comes, all these people come, um, stuff was happening. But then you've got, it's almost like you got that train coming closer towards you. And um, yeah, I remember that was when like, okay, the week after that, we were like, hey, we've got to start to address this. Yeah. Uh, and so in terms of services, do you remember, Britt, like what we started to, to chat about? I mean, many of you listening will remember what that was like because it was the last times that we were meeting. Mm, yeah. I remember just starting to discuss the idea of that, um, the pandemic coming closer and the adjustments we'd have to make. Um, and I suppose they just felt like minor things, just an awareness, you know, we're going to have to socially distance and things are going to be a bit different, but it's going to be fine. So it just felt, it was interesting being in the office and hearing the trajectory or potential trajectory, but then being able to lead people through that and share what was needed at the right time to actually journey through that together was really interesting. Um, and I think what you said, Mark, is so, is so true. For me, it kind of felt like this whiplash as well as this slow encroaching of something coming. Mm. And I don't think ever before I've really sensed it, not just in Melbourne, but around the world. Um, and so it felt like this, yeah, holding that uh, balance of, okay, this is coming, but what does it look like for us to lead well and steady a whole congregation who were excited about gathering? And there was so much momentum, not mm. wanting to stop that. How do we transition? So, yeah, it just had to be gradual information given at the right time but also recognition of what was coming yeah what about you daniel was there anything um particular that sort of marked this time in the pre-pandemic prep i think yeah i think being uh i know only my early 30s but just haven't really lived through something like this that's ever affected and so the idea of it was purely that just an idea and mm. like something that's kind of at arm's length significantly in another country and yeah, I suppose there's a sense of security and like we're in Australia and we can, we're an island and we can cut ourselves off if we need or we, we yeah, so I, was, I suppose there was a bit of a denial of sorts, not 
intentional, but just like, I hadn't come across anything like this before. And so we were having team meetings. You were sharing some of this stuff early on, Mark, and I began thinking about it, but still was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure. Good to put some thought to it, but probably won't play out. And then I remember one of the last services I had, um, I got Kelly, um, I got her to get a pack of 12 Dettol wipes for the uh, for the microphones <laughs> for the service. Um, little did I know that was far less than but yeah I think it was early days we were just beginning to think about this what could this be um, but the reality still hadn't hit yet mm. and it's so strange to yeah as you said when you haven't lived through something like this you don't have a point of reference to make it real for yourself. Yeah. Um, we were just joking before that actually the last time that we met as a congregation, uh, we had had a bit of a chat before um, we started the service about how we're going to uh, explain to the congregations, you know, the best practices in terms of hygiene and social distancing and um I'm pretty sure I surprised Mark on stage by dosy don't <laughs> around him. And, you know, you got on board. I joined in. Yeah. yeah. We socially um, distanced dosy don't. Yeah, well, that yeah. was the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a, a way of joyfully engaging with one another yeah. without um, actually being too close. So um, I guess that was the last time before we met and then we went online. So this is kind of the next stage of deciding to go online can you frame up what that decision looked like, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I was following what was happening overseas. I was also was talking to friends, you know, around the world and, you know, different countries were doing different things earlier. You know, woke up, was getting texts from friends in Europe, like our country just shut down. And it, ju it just felt like things that were unimaginable um, of empty streets, cities not filled, that hadn't happened to us yet. And I think Daniel's right. There still was this sense that we have in Australia that, you know, the bad stuff happens elsewhere and Australia is the lucky mm. country and we're not going to, you know, fall for this stuff. Um, not fall for it, you know, like be, you know, struggle with it. And, um, yeah, so I, I remember that week was like quite intense. I remember thinking a lot and mm. as a leader I had to think forward. And I think like that that do, -si -do thing is 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 funny but there was this moment where we were at that stage were like well, we need to be serious but we don't want to freak everyone out yeah so as a leader you're always like i think particularly in australia like we almost have this thing the worst case scenario thing's not going to happen so what happened was the unimaginable thing if you said to everyone in you know october or even you know january you know january the second like that bryce johnson tweet that literally the world will shut down you will not meet in church we just grown over you know red started as one service We'd grown it to four in two locations. The thought that you, that's all going to stop, mm. it was unimaginable. And um, that we'd be living with curfews and, and having to be in four different rooms to talk to each other like we are now. So I think there was an element where I began to realize I have to start planning for the unimaginable. And it was like as that week went on, that got more. And you could see the government was working through what to do. And I had a conversation with someone who, who rang me, I think on Thursday, and um, said, look, we're in a health compromised situation and we need your wisdom as to whether to come to church and we need to know that we'll be safe. And they did it in a really good way. And I remember that's when it switched. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm now making decisions that could affect the health. You know, And at this point too, I mean, you early on, we didn't know. And I remember like you're looking at, there were people saying, you know, could we have a 1% death rate? There's people saying, could we have a 7% death rate? 
And, you know, I remember talking to people like everyone's going to get it. Like there were people saying everyone's going to get it. So I'm like, I'm gaming that out going, man, what, you know, what if we head to a situation where, you know, we're having to do multiple funerals, you know, so you, yeah. you know all this unimaginable stuff's in your head. Um, so I realized on the Friday, I just thought, I had that conversation on the Thursday and I just felt, what do I err on here? As a leader, I'm used to, let's err on the side that this stuff probably doesn't happen. That week, so many things were happening. More and more cities around the world were shutting down. Yeah. And I just thought, as a leader, I have to make the decision that puts people's safety first. Mm. And we were one of the first churches that I knew of that was actually, we're going to preempt the government's things. I sort of felt, I, I thought in two weeks, we're going to be here anyway. Yeah. But before the government said that religious things need to shut down, I said, we're not doing churches. We're going online. Um, and I remember, I think I called everyone. I called the people who would need to make the live stream. Actually, help take me through it. How yeah, I can't yeah. even remember um, how I made that, announced that. Well, I remember it was a Friday. At that point, I didn't work on Fridays and Britt and I were doing something and then we got called in to do a FaceTime meeting with you guys to be like, okay, how are we going to do this? What are we mm. going to how are we going to let people know that we're not gathering yes. on Sunday? What was your experience of that day like, Daniel? Yeah, I remember like that week of was kind of, I suppose the conversation was beginning to happen more. So from a tech perspective, I was like yeah. beginning to think about right, what will we need, what gear will we need to do mm. this, where would we do it? And then that, and then I, yeah, I wasn't working Fridays at that point and getting the call on Friday was like, oh my goodness, like we're going to have to, I'm going to have to make something happen and and suddenly like my head was just a million miles an hour trying to figure out how do we pivot a whole, not just one service, but like a whole church essentially. Because mm. we've got kids' church and a mm. number of different congregations at that point that we were now going to be broadcasting all of this to. Yeah. So it's just kind of this madness. Mm. Um, well, for me, for me in that moment anyway, of like how do we make this happen? Yeah. And how about you, Britt? Like what, what were the cogs in your mm. mind churning around? Yeah, I think it was more so, oh, my gosh, it's actually hit. It's mm. time to respond. And mm. there was a sense of an excitement in a weird way, but mm. just like, yeah. okay, how do we transition? What does it look like to communicate well? What is needed to be said and how do we hold this? Um, and, yeah, incredible to watch the team. Yeah, from Daniel looking at tech, Mark, to thinking about what needs to be communicated and Liddy doing video. Like there were so many elements that we had to just quickly adjust to. And so, um yeah, a sense of urgency, but also um, an alignment in jumping into going, actually, let's lead in this moment mm. and let's look at what we can do to begin to transition people and ourselves into wherever this may take us. And so a sense of excitement and a little bit of intimidation. How are we actually going to do this? What is it like to be on camera? Mm. Um, all those questions uh, were present too. Mm. I remember too, as it, so just reflecting, I'm, I'm thinking back like, I remember we made a video, I think Friday, I yep. think, and put it up. And I remember putting it up on Instagram. And again, we were going early. And I, I had heard, I think, Michael Ryan, who's the head of the WHO, who said, go hard and go early. Mm. That was his response. And I thought, he's, you know, the top guy in the world. You know, that's great. So, like, let's go hard, let's go early. I remember we put that video up on Instagram. I put it up on my Instagram account. And someone wrote straight away, what an overreaction and the eye roll emoji. And I remember that moment, you're just thinking, Wow, like, but yeah, this is, this is, people might struggle with this. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and all the usual things that, you know, you would do were different. I remember too, we came in on a Saturday 
and we yeah, just we went all day. Like, not I felt a lot, a lot of the day just preparing. But I remember that day just felt like something. We crossed the. I felt like the Saturday more than the Sunday was like a Rubicon had been the Rubicon had been crossed, and we were in a new era. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly felt quite not sincere, but um, there was a gravity to that totally. to that day. I remember totally. we gathered at the end of that day mm. and ended up praying together and that mm. um yeah there was a real sense that um yeah we needed to depend on god for mm. for mm. where we were going because mm. we didn't know mm. what it looked like um how about that first sunday online uh talk me through your experiences of that I remember, I mean, again, too, like, it was like a whole new era was here. I remember walking through the park. I remember walking here. It was so different to usual Sunday experience. You know, usual Sunday is a very long day, multiple services, preaching multiple times, seeing lots of people. And then all of a sudden, I was walking here through the park. And I think I actually, I think I was actually went on, first time in my life, I went, ever went on Instagram live. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. And I just went, because, I, you know, yeah, I was trying to get- It really marks a new era. <laughs> really marks, it was, I think it was the first and the last time I went on Instagram Live. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I remember people were jumping on. There was this sense, and also just friends were all texting. And I had friends from around the world, like, this is it. We were going early because of that day ahead. It was like, we're all making this change together. So, I really did feel like this sort of peak moment of, like, almost wartime leadership. And, you know, we did it in our cottage. So, we went from being in auditorium- um, oh, did we do it in here first? Oh, okay. Yeah. So we did it in this, the space which we used to meet, which was since turned into an office. Uh, we met in here, we were filming. It was very different. It just was a, a, a totally different experience speaking to a camera. Um, took far more adjustment and relearning. Like I think presenting to camera, preaching to camera, mm-hmm. I think all of us have been surprised how much of a, a, like a learning that has had to be. What about for you, Brett? Yeah, that's funny. I think the yeah, pre- uh, speaking to camera was one of the biggest adjustments for sure. Um, but also mm. feeling the weight and preparation of something, but being in a room with like maybe there was five of us, five or six of us mm. at the time, not used to a you know a Sunday service where there's an, a sense mm. of connection, the Holy Spirit's moving, there's people singing and praising to, okay, we've got to not reproduce that energy, but remember that this is just as important. Church mm. is just in a different way. Um, and I think what you said before, Lydia, as well, is really interesting. And I feel like it's been one of the lessons of you can't ever adjust your behavior. You just do what you need to do. And then there's almost like a leading by Holy Spirit to be like, oh, mm. actually, this is really significant. Okay, but how do I adjust to that as well? And it mm. felt like it was constant cycles of that. Okay, now we're going to be on camera. All right, how do I speak to a camera? I don't know, like these practicals, where am I looking? I have to mm. look in the lens, otherwise it's weird. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also how do I still come under alignment of what God wants to do and recognize that this moment is important, speak to that, lead in that. Um, it was like this dance back and forth, learning new skills, but also what is God doing because he hasn't left. Um, mm. But equally feeling really like processing all of this at the same time, being like, mm. this is not normal. I feel so connected. I'm speaking to a congregation, but I cannot see them. Where mm. are they? And so Equally, like, yeah, a sense of fracturing, but then also a, a sense of connection in a whole new way. It was, yeah, really, really interesting. All happening on one Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Daniel? You were the tech maniac <laughs> with your mega desk. My me- oh, that was the beginning of it. Yeah, that was like it was – It was. It, I remember that Sunday and it was like it was this weird tension of, for me, I suppose, like holding all the tech stuff, but then really sensing – 
this was something this is the beginning of something new and god's god is still here god's still working but it feels different and and i suppose some of the markers that you use like when you're all gathered together of kind of what's the vibe in the room kind of the sense of the spirit there was you didn't have that big corporate sense but there was mm. still a unique kind of sense that god was present and yeah. the spirit was there and so i was kind of like I suppose in that moment, but then like oh, all the tech stuff's happening, <laughs> um, and we're yeah trying to adapt. We like that point we'd I'd only got a couple bits of gear that we'd might need for for live streaming. Then we we're having to grab all this other bit, other like random cameras and stuff to make yeah. this work and cables and and yeah between you and I, Liddy, we were kind of back and forth trying to um, yeah. move cameras from one <laughs> one side of the stage where the band was back to the other where Mark was about to start preaching and. Waving um, our arms around, pointing to different cameras, yeah. <laughs> changing the screen. Um, and all at the same time, I remember like we had text, like, all of us had text coming in from mm. from the congregation sending mm. pictures. At that point, there were people able to gather um, with 10 or 15 together still. And you, I remember getting a picture from um, from a friend with yeah, 12 or so people gathered, kind of kneeling mm. in front of a TV. Mm. <laughs> like, And it was just this bizarre moment of, Oh, this this is this is so different, but mm. there's there's something unifying and significant yeah. still here. Mm. Um, but yeah, what a day that was! Yeah. I remember too. Like, I mean, I just these are all these memories are flooding back. Like, we had to divide. We deliberately had to like there was the tech things we were doing, but then there was almost I think I called it biosecurity because I'm thinking Daniel is you know, tech person or whatever. Like, if we had twelve people in here, if we brought the whole team in and said we're going to live stream, and one person had coronavirus because at that stage we're like is this just going to rip through all of us so we mm. almost had two teams ready to go almost had like you got one team who's going to record but we need people who could take over from all of us if we get sick as well so there was yeah. this sort of sense of you're doing tech you're doing a whole new way of church and then you're planning like what if this starts to rip through all of us now with hindsight we can look back um, you know, and Australia's response has been very different to what happened in other countries in the world. But, you know, I had friends who, who you know, in their, their, it got into their leadership teams, you know, and, and, mm. and so, you know, there was, there was so much at play at that early stage. Yeah. So if we're going to kind of sum up this moving to church online kind of section of time, what are the kind of takeaway things that we have learnt as a team or as individuals from this time? I, I think I, I just affirm what Brute said. I think there was a kind of dependency on God yeah. in, in the midst of this. I think that overwhelming thing, we were flying by the seat of our pants. It was all new and you were just pushed into – like like before that, I think church is like a football, you know, league that just keeps having a game every week. You know, like, you know, Sunday's coming. You're going you're gonna to do your thing. That was all gone. It was totally new territory and you're flying by the city of your pants and just that whole thing, I think the Holy Spirit carried us through. Mm. It was like wartime leadership, but with the Holy Spirit just continually present in our weakness. So we moved online, but not only did we move online, but we started to realise that church had to transition into a, to look a new way, I guess. What would you explain that? new way of doing church as Mark? I mean, I think there's a couple of things. When, when we first locked down, you're like, is this going to be four weeks and then mm. we're back? So I think the first thing was, are we simply just going to, you know, everyone at that thought is like, Listen, how do we hold on to the other side of this? Um, and how do you maintain what you have? And just the thing was, oh, we'll do this for a little bit and then we're back um, to exactly what we did before. I think it began to, we began to realise that 
there was something different happening. And so how we were doing it, um, for those, you know, helpers that saw this, we were doing it in this space that we're in currently, then we went to the cottage. And effectively, we had worship, we had many of the elements that you would have had on stage in reduced mm. form, we were basically live streaming that. We did do an interview with Terry Walling, who's, you know, uh, many will know from him coming speak at our church. Um, he's also a mentor of mine. And we had a recorded interview that I did with him, which was fantastic in that it's spiritually placed, um, yeah. I guess, you know, what God was, you know, doing in the midst of this moment. As we were watching the recording of that in the cottage, Chris, um, who was playing keys that day, made a comment, I think it was after the service or during the recording, he said, it was like Paul sending out a letter from California to mm. us here in Melbourne. And in my mind, it was like a penny dropped. And I realized that, hang on, don't do church and make people watch. What God was doing, the other thing that Terry said in that was that he said that, what if this is the moment where the priesthood of believers truly gets realized? Mm. And that was this key paradigm moment. So we switched to, I guess, what a lot of from what a lot of the churches were doing, which is like watch us and watch our church service to actually we are equipping you and church is now all in your homes. And I think that was the, the first stage where we realized there was a profound transformation occurring and we were more here to encourage people. But now the ball was in people's court. I think also at that stage, I realized that you don't, you don't realize the sort of power you have, not some crazy like, oh, we're dictators, but more honestly, you can see people. You can feel the mood in a room. Mm. Uh, you know, less people turn up to that service, but a heap turned up to that service. How do we rectify that? You were just flying blind. You know, we got we could get the text. You could look at the YouTube numbers, which I think everyone you know realized after a while. <laughs> That's necessarily indicative when you've got a bunch of people jumping into your service because it was recommended on YouTube to uh, videos of a lion eating an antelope or something, um, <laughs> which may, may have happened. Um, you notice that when all of a sudden you start getting a lot of like thumbs down on YouTube. Why do people had it preaching? No, they thought this was going to be another video on lion kills. Um, so there was this sense that what God was doing was actually inviting us to even think about church in a different way um, in, in this period. And that through losing control, in a sense, we'd lost the ball, but now the ball was with the people of God. I think that was a huge, I remember personally, and I think I think many of us felt at that time, the the one of the invitations from God was to let go of control. Yes. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, it's a scary thought and you kind of, it exposes where you don't necessarily think you have control, but you actually do, or you, you want to try and maintain that, whether that's through pride or just having your finger in whatever ministry pie <laughs> that, that's happening. But yeah, there was just a, a really distinct invitation from God to, to the fact that he is above all of this yeah. and that we are to pay, place our hope and our faith in what he is doing. And I think that's, that's like looking back, I'm like, that's such a beautiful invitation. It's a hard one, but it was a key one at that point. Mm. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff that we all had to let go of totally. during yeah. that time. Um, and so not easy. There's grief that comes with that. Mm. What about you, Britt? Yeah, I think similarly, similar feelings. Um, it's so odd to think of the things that we had to let go of because they're actually good things. Mm. Like the ability to all sit in one room and hear what the Holy Spirit's saying and then lead from that. Can't do that. Um, and I struggled with that one. I was mm. like, but that's such a part of church. And it was having to let go of something that it is good. But equally, I think um, 
there's been a sense in which the letting go has created a sense or an idea or an exploration of more of who God is that we probably wouldn't have encountered before, like a growing of our understanding of God and how he wants to do church. Mm. And so in the letting go, there was also an invitation for more, and that was exciting. Even though it was hard at the time to go, okay, well, we can't hold it. An invitation to start thinking differently, to see things differently, and to know a new God or a bigger part of him that we just hadn't quite seen yet. And, yeah, this is just the beginning, so it was just like seeing the edge of his cloak, not his full cloak. But, yeah, some new, new things to come. But it required a letting go for sure. Mm. Mm. And I think we were really excited about that language of the priesthood of all believers mm. to, to see what that would look like to be realised amongst our church and amongst the kingdom. And, yeah, I, I remember just beginning to think differently and thinking about different ways in that we, like, do online services or generations or discipleship, that kind of stuff. Like, all right, how do we begin to think about that differently in not like, all right, what do I do as a leader to equip the people or to, to teach the people, but like how do we help invite people, encourage people into actually you are a priest, mm. how to begin living this in your homes, which is the, where, where that was able to be lived out at that point. Um, yeah, so this is kind of an exciting frontier, I remember. Yeah, definitely. How about from a, from a more practical perspective, what was actually happening during this time? So we... We were live streaming for a time. Yeah. Um, what were what were staff doing? What what did behind the scenes Red Church staff team look like? What was going on? Well, I think you don't realize how much often church structuring is built around congregations. Yeah. So you've got to run on a Sunday. It depends how many congregations your church has got, but you've got to run a bunch of things. There's volunteers. There's who's going to be at the building. There's pastoral care that may happen after a service. There's praying for people. There's vision, you know, jumping together. This is the hospitality welcome team, you know, doing the vision talk with them. Um, there's someone going over the schedule. So like a lot of energy that you don't even necessarily realize because you just do it all the time and work goes into the running of Sunday services um, as well as in-person gatherings you know mm. look at our generations ministry look at youth um, look at things like alpha um, so much of our energy went into in-person gatherings and that all changed very quickly and so all of a sudden in I, you began to see these changes where how we had done things which is natural um, was that people would have a sense of, I guess, connection, community with a particular congregation. We'd really had a value of, you know, doing that in a sense, like as the church got bigger, that's where people would find a sense of meaning and identity. Um, and you'd know people in that, you know, sort of congregation. Mm. But what was interesting, it wasn't even like we planned this. It just began to happen where it was almost like as soon as those times began to change, there was all of a sudden cross-pollination. Uh, so, for example, before the pandemic, um, if someone, say, from the nine o'clock service um, uh, at Nunder Wadding had a pastoral issue, they will probably go to the person who they see the most on staff in that service. Mm. All of a sudden, we had people from different services accessing different pastoral care needs. We also saw the pastoral care. We, we thought we were going to be overrun with a sea of pastoral care needs. Mm. And this is not just what we experienced. Other churches experienced this too. All of a sudden, people who are having to deal with pastoral care needs, um, in a sense, the, the body was actually taking care of a lot of it. And so how we had organized staff, we realized, realized that it needed an absolute change. Uh, we were also aware that um, – 
you know, tech people, particularly you, Lydia and Daniel, um, who are doing video and doing editing and stuff like that. We need to multiply those skills because mm. if you guys got sick or even just needed a break, we were in huge trouble. So very much, I think we began to work together in a much more collaborative way. It was less about who was over what service. That sort of almost melted away. Mm. It was really one church. It was no longer about Mideast and its different services. It was no longer about Adderies. It was now this, this whole church um, which was you know, almost like one church in multiple locations. We also had a lot of people join us who'd never been part of Red before. Mm. Um, we had people coming from areas of Melbourne and even further afield. So we had to you know, work out that, um, what that means. So there was a profound change that people would have seen in how we did the services, but there was a profound change happening in even how, how staff um, um, work in this completely new environment. Mm. About you guys, any uh, insights about your experiences? Mm, I think it was a, a swift learning curve in many skills. Um, so having to work out how to yeah speak on camera, but also what it looks like to be behind the camera and deal with those sort of things. But also I think it was a real opportunity to do team in a new way, mm. which was actually yeah exciting and fun um, and a removing of a role to actually how can I best serve in this time and in this moment? What does that look like? And how can I be adaptable? Um, yeah, that was a really quick lesson we had to learn, but one I think we transitioned into really well. Yeah, I think from a, from a practical perspective for me, um, I suppose my, my role really just uh, most of my time was spent, um, I suppose, enabling the ministry of, of the staff and the team mm. um, whether that's a service on a Sunday, whether that's generations to distribute um, content for their for the kids at home, or um, I don't know enabling a Zoom meeting to for a prayer gathering or something like that, um, and yeah, it was just a really like I suppose I really enjoy tech stuff, and so part of me came alive, like just <laughs> like there was a real energy in what I was able to do, um, but to to not lose sight of the bigger bigger purpose and bigger picture of why we're doing this and um, continually holding that before God. I, mm. I really felt the need to to continue to let go. I think because this was such a moving and a changing time, it's easy to get your heart set on or a mindset on this is how we do like, Cool, we found a rhythm. Let's keep mm. going with this. But it, got, it changed quickly and we were, I remember we got to the point where we could start pre-recording some um, some of our worship and music with some of the worship team and so they'd come in together and we'd have – uh, six or seven of us kind of recording, but then, and that was felt that felt good. We found some rhythm and energy and and the presence of, uh, presence of the spirit as we as we worshiped together. Um, but then, yeah, then that suddenly went away again. We had I had to let go of like like how it was happening two weeks ago. Yes, and get ready to to think differently and and pick up what's what the next opportunity is. Mm. Um, so was, yeah, there's. For me, it was balancing that both, I suppose, emotionally and with my leadership cap on, but also from a like practical, what resources are we using? What do we need to stop using or now take up? Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. The story of the last six or seven months of <laughs> yeah. everything changing. I think a that's day. a really important point too, Daniel brings up there in the sense that, and maybe people at home didn't see this, but we almost had to then re-pivot again for the second lockdown. Yeah. So there was this period, again, we were trying to plan ahead and you know, taking people back to I think maybe the end of May, beginning of June, Australia had done so well, you know, um, uh, 
you know, there was talk of a travel bubble with New Zealand. I had an inquiry from, you know, someone come and speak at our conference in New Zealand because, like, <laughs> it's going to open up soon. You better travel and, you know, uh, we could have this wonderful down under life compared to the rest of the world. We were beginning to have this conversation, Daniel and I again, of like, okay, so if we open up to hybrid gatherings that were beginning to happen around the world, what would that look like? Mm. We had particularly government strictures um, in our state. So it was like you'd have to have one was it four square meters per every person? Yeah. yeah. So we literally had maps out on the desk. We had our Japara house, um, which is where our Outer East congregation was meeting. And you're like, you sort of had this hope, like, oh, cool. You know, they could get back, get back, do this, we'll start coming back. And I remember then you're looking at it going, hang on, we just can't make this work. No. Like, like toilet, you know, having to have people, who's going to the toilets, having to have people in different rooms, check-ins were just, oh my goodness. Like we quickly realized the Japara House building was just inoperable. Um, is that the right word? Inoperable. Yeah. We just couldn't even have a service. There. And then you're like, hang on, this is a bit of a roadblock. But then all of a sudden the second wave kicks off. And, and you know, I reckon the set leading in the second wave was profoundly different to leading the mm. first. The first is like this energy, we're running on adrenaline. And then to sense like, just after a few weeks of things opening up, there was almost this sort of like, man, like, wow, this is frightening. And I remember we were, I think, recording the Sunday service here and then the number came in when it went to like seven, 800 cases or something. Yeah. And I remember all of us were almost had our heads in our hands yeah. like, oh my goodness, we've got to like pivot again. Yeah. And, and leading, and maybe this is helpful, I know this is aimed at red, but people jump on, you know, I can, I'm watching Europe like about to head into a second wave and- you're dealing with people who are tired. We were, we were all tired. Um, I found in the second wave, like, I had to go, there's only a few things that I can do. I said, no. Like, first wave, I'm doing podcasts around the world. What does this mean for the coronavirus? Second wave, I'm just saying no. Like, tired, homeschooling for an epic period. Um, you know, so exactly what you're saying, Daniel. The second wave, I think, presented as much challenges um, to how we were leading. So, we had to simplify what we were doing as Red Church. Yeah. So, I guess... There was the, yeah, the first lockdown was transitioning to a new way of doing church. The second lockdown, yeah, as you've acknowledged, has a very different feel about it. We're almost building a new structure yeah. in this space. So if we are building a new structure, so to speak, what is that structure? Well, I think it's in process. Okay. Um, you know, I think like, you know, I, what I have focused on is, is reading a lot about how do you be a church in a complex space. The mm -hmm. world before was a complicated space where you just needed a really good plan and in a complicated world you move towards efficiency. It's really hard to do that in a complex world because you can't even predict. You can plan for something and three weeks later it's irrelevant. So, you know, it's a move from efficiency to adaptability. So I think where we're at at the moment, if you look at huddles, um, so we realized very quickly that we had to move from the concept that the main organizing principle of RED was congregations, we actually moved to huddles. So what huddles are, um, for those of you who don't know, are groups of three or four who meet together, mostly via Zoom in the lockdown here in Melbourne. Well, that's all you can do at this point in time um, to spiritually encourage each other. They may talk about the sermon. So we started realizing that instead of like facilitating a congregational service, we are now facilitating and equipping these huddle gatherings. Mm. So that's a much more adaptable way of looking at things. But you look at like roles, like normally what would happen in a church is someone would get a role, like you're going to look after that service. You're the local pastor over there and you do that for three years. Huddles this year has moved from, I think it began the year you doing it, Daniel, mm. then it went to Brit, now it's with Bjorn. So there's a much greater adaptability. So I feel like we're in flux, we're building something 
but the, the structure that red will have um, that you know begins to emerge from this is really key. And and I think what I began to realize too was this is less about a strategy to get through the pandemic as it was God preparing us for a world which is going to be complex after the pandemic. The other thing I observed with the second lockdown is I think, you know, the first lockdown, I felt that Aussie thing was there. We're going to get through this. We're doing well. And that's been true for the rest of Australia. For us in Melbourne, that was a very different thing. To go through a really long lockdown, longest lockdown in the world now, while you've got friends and family in mm. other parts of Australia who are, you know, rocking around, living large, hanging out with people, you know, that was really challenging. Um, I felt like some of the spiritual openness began to actually happen in the second lockdown, mm. that people were more open to God, like it was people were doing tougher, uh, but also people were increasingly frustrated and there was anger, there was emotions which we didn't see early on. So I think, um, you know, I felt that the re- renewal dynamic, the crisis leads to, to renewal which God has been teaching, um, you know, read for a long time, all of a sudden became a really, I think, guiding principle in that second phase. And, you know, I, I look back and, you know, I've said this before, I think there was a virus before the virus, um, a challenge of discipleship um, in the Western church where people come to church less often, um, their lives are less shaped by the Bible. And I began to see this second lockdown, really, that this is our an incredible opportunity for Red to emerge from this time with a really strong discipleship culture and that God was allowing us to be focused on huddles, focused on church without all of the things which get us there, like a regular time, great worship, bunch of people hanging out afterwards, donuts, whatever, coffee, that that there was something that God was doing in here and we need to press into you know being actually a real discipleship community at this time and reframe this opportunity. Yeah, and I guess um, the, again, from um, an operational perspective, observing the few things that have uh, started to be birthed as part of the second lockdown as well, I think um, of, Britt, your involvement in building Red Care. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what's going on in that space. Yeah, I think being in the second lockdown meant – it's like it landed in a whole new way, greater dependency on God, but also a camaraderie in Melbourne. Mm. And it mm. meant that there are local churches who are like, hold on, how do we actually respond together? We are all in this same place. And it kind of broke down walls that potentially were there. And so with Red Care, um, as Mark shared earlier, we thought we'd have a flood of pastoral care needs. And there have been some, and we've had the opportunity to, to look into that. But it's like our vision became a bit broader and we – um, in a way, uh, took an opportunity to grab uh, the hands of other churches and respond to our city. Um, when we were feeling so divided, there was opportunity to speak to the community that we were living in, even though we can't leave our homes and we're feeling yeah, restricted. Actually, what does it look like to be the church in Melbourne? And so starting conversations with churches in our local area to look at really simple ways to respond to what we were all feeling as a state Um and so that, you know, can vary from hampers to conversations with people that who are alone to um, even just things like uh, we've seen in our Sunday services of prayer, different churches, different traditions, different faiths praying and recognising where we're at. Um, a real sense of unity, again, that I'm not sure I've ever experienced before mm. living in Melbourne and attending a church in Melbourne um, that goes outside of your building walls, I guess, now. Mm. Um, so Red Care is that an exploration of that, an invitation to that, um, which is really exciting. And again, 
something that I would not have thought about or had um, witnessed yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's gifts in the second lockdown. There you go. What about you, Daniel? Anything that has uh, pertained specifically to this sort of period of time? Yeah, it's been really cool just to witness some of, I suppose, I wonder if the first kind of wave, there was an initial, I don't know, novelty, I suppose, about about going online and, and from, from I don't know, as a parent, kind of sitting with your kid to do kids' church and mm. that kind of stuff, um, to this stage now where it's like, yeah, we're kind of approaching the, I know, the tail end of this intense lockdown, um, who knows, <laughs> what the future holds but it I suppose it's been, it's been really cool to see how people have stepped in, into their discipleship or stepped into um, yeah finding unity amongst the believers um, at this time and I know like I'm involved with uh, with Alpha at the moment and it's just been really cool to see yeah, people there's a bunch of people from Melbourne some people even from Sydney connecting in over Zoom and we just had our Alpha weekend, uh, this Holy Spirit weekend, and just to see yeah, the Spirit moving in people's homes um, over Zoom was actually really powerful and really significant and something like I'm used to that when we're all in the same space together to see kind of the, the goodness of God mm. going into people's homes. Um, but then even just before I had a, um, I was chatting with uh, Sue Allison from um, – generations and she just sharing the um, program one of the school holiday programs they're running at the moment and the amount of families and people that are connecting in at 10 a.m on a wednesday morning um, to to gather together to to spend time and learn and and, uh, i think that's just indicative of a uh, a new culture that's growing um, not just when we're all together but in homes and um, people taking the time and, and saying yes to those opportunities. Um, it's, yeah, it's awesome to see. Um, I've also noticed in the second um, lockdown, the pace feels different, mm. perhaps because mm. we have established a few things and we're not holding super tightly to them, but it's like, well, we know how to do church online now um, and we want to keep growing and adapting to that. But I think because of the pace slowing down, there's a sense in which we have capacity to see things a bit more clearly. So even what you've just shared, Daniel, of Alpha, of what's happening in Generations, what's happening with Red Care, as I just shared, um, and stories that we hear throughout the congregation is it's almost like God's like, okay, can you see where I'm at work? Join me on this one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we flip and adapt to go, okay, how do we do that online? Cool. How do you pray and ask Holy Spirit to come on an Alpha Zoom session? You just do it. Mm. Um, And so it's really an interesting change to being, yeah, in the second lockdown. And it's been really difficult for many reasons, but exciting to have new vision and the ability to be so slowed down to actually go, oh, that's where God's at work. How do we partner with him in Mm. that? Um, And it's a real privilege to see, Mm. again, that although we feel limited, God has not been limited by it. And if anything, we're seeing more of his movement across different generations, different faith stages, um, and that's really exciting. So this structure, which we're obviously not holding particularly tightly to, um, but what we are holding tightly to is the fact that God is in control and he's the one that we look to for direction of Red Church. So let's talk about the future. Where are we going from here? Well, that's a million-dollar question. 
Um, a million dollars. A million dollars, probably more. Um, I think one of the big challenges this year is it's, what we've learned is it's almost impossible in a complex environment to plan because mm. the, the landscape changes. Um, I find it interesting at the moment um, that we learnt in March that the unthinkable thing can happen with this virus. And I sort of feel like at the moment we've almost, a lot of people I know and, you know, I think even pastors planning, the assumption is we'll go back soon. Um, 2021, we're going to be back. Now, that well indeed may happen. But if you look at the vaccine um, timescale, if you look at particularly our state of Victoria here in terms of, you know, how our government does things, how the Australian government does things, um, I think it's a very safe bet to, to predict that, you know, a large part of 2021 may be disrupted. Mm. Perhaps the whole of 2021 may be disrupted in the sense of it may not be possible to meet like we did before the pandemic. If you look into, you know, I saw an interview yesterday, you know, with um, Bill Gates and like Bill Gates is optimistic, you know, that there'll be a vaccine coming out in the second half of the year. And I thought that's interesting. That's, that's optimism, you know, and there's a whole bunch of things around, um, you know, when a vaccine could come and, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Without going into all of that, I realize that what God is asking us to do is less about planning, it's actually about preparing. Um, and so I felt like just as we had to prepare for the worst case scenario that all our services could get shut down by coronavirus, we need to prepare that it might be really hard for us to meet in person for a year or more. Um, and I know that's hard to hear, it's hard to plan, you know. Um, but in the midst of that, you know, again, I just feel that invitation. Um, I, I, I feel this invitation that God asked me, there was this point where I realized that the church that I last went to in person before any restrictions on March, what was it, March the? March the 15th. Where we go see that. Ninth. Oh, the ninth. The uh, 15th was the first live one. Yeah. Where we do dote on the stage and did announcements like we've done church for the last few years, mm. that 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 church is probably not going to look like it did before the pandemic. Mm. I spoke to a few months ago a friend um, overseas who, where he is in the world. Um, he runs a church and his church had opened up. And he basically said, Mark, you need to understand people are not going to come back the same. He had the expectation that it would just flip back to what it was before, that everyone would rush back. And he's like, you know, it's different. Churches are having to meet in different locations, different times. Um, we, we just don't know what this looks like. There's no guarantee that we're going to be able to do the services like we did before in the same ways, in the same places, or that even people will want that. Um, I have no idea what the future holds. Um, but I trust God because our mission's still the same. The mm. vision's still the same. We're still the people of God. The church is flourishing in places where they have to just meet online like the Middle East. Um, and, you know, I believe that there is a point where we'll be past this, whether it's a vaccine, this thing burns out, whatever that may be. But in a sense that our, I think what RED is working towards, um, and I know as a staff team we're working towards this and I invite everyone as part of RED to work towards this, that we are the people of God, you know, and, and this is his church mm. and he uses bad for good. I keep saying that. I think I've said that almost every week in my sermon. And, you know, I feel like there's this sense that something will emerge from this and, you know, if there's a sense of anxiety that comes around what RED may look like, there was a stage, I mean, early on, there were Red was meeting in a weird building upper stairs, which have now been demolished and is being made way for a Hilton hotel, you know, with 17 people. 
Red has looked very different over the years. It's met in many different places, but God has always been on the move. And I think we have an exciting future ahead of us. There's lessons to be learned now about how do we be the people of God in the places where people struggle to be the people of God, in their personal lives, in their homes, amongst their families, in share houses. God is up to, up to something. So we don't know what the future looks like, but we know who is the God of the future is, is what I'm holding on to. Yeah, I think it's something I've learned in, you know, this looking at the future is sometimes it gets a bit exhausting in this time to do that because there is only so far that we can look. Um, and so a lesson in that, I suppose, has been a greater dependency on God because I actually don't know what the future will hold, even just tomorrow. What's tomorrow going to hold? But um, God is present in that. Um, and, yeah, there's something exciting about it. And I think also when you think about um, what the future looks like for congregations, I believe there's a new value in why we would meet and there's something exciting about that, the idea that we're not doing it just because we're running a service or this is what felt good last time or where we thought God would move or how he would move. Again, release of control means there's such dependency on God to grow us in our faith and what is needed in this time in this city. And so there's something else that drives us together and, and a sense of holiness and pure worship almost like like the tabernacle where you gather that there can be silence even but you're connected in a new way because you're no longer required to be in the same room to be unified mm-hmm. well thank you for joining us for the behind the scenes or perhaps it's behind the mask because we've had to take our masks off to record These reflections uh, are obviously learnings for us as a staff, but they're also um, quite deeply personal learnings about learning to relinquish control and recognise that God is actually the one who is in ultimate control. He is ultimately powerful. So I encourage each of you as you listen and reflect on this, um, this transition that we've gone through as a church to reflect on the transition that you have gone through individually and how that actually marries up with what's happening with Red Church. So be blessed. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you on Sunday.